Hi, my name is Renita, and I am your host of the Be Your Own Kind podcast. My podcast aligns with idea of my blog of feeling comfortable with you. I'm excited to share topics and ideas with you today. Thanks for tuning in. Hey lovelies, I'm excited to host another episode of the Be Your Own Kind podcast. Today we have a guest that will help raise awareness in reference to National ADHD Awareness Month. Did you know that about 60% of children with ADHD in the United States become adults with ADHD? That is about 4% of the adult population, which is about 8 million adults. Our guest today, Betty Centrum, is a New York City-based public health interventionist and communicator and passionate advocate for neurodiverse women. I'm excited that she is joining us today to talk about her experience since her diagnosis of ADHD and share her wisdom about the misconception of ADHD being considered a boy's diagnosis. Before we introduce Betty to the conversation, I want to remind everyone to remember to visit the site beyourownkind.com or subscribe to the Be Your Own Kind YouTube channel. If you are not following me on social media, please do to read and join the conversation pertaining to this theme. Also, don't forget to join me every Wednesday and Friday on live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Periscope as we discuss various subjects. I invite individuals to join my live and share their thoughts. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe. You can always find the links to my social media accounts, YouTube channel, and text community in the description box below. As always, thank you for your continued support and listenership. Hello, Betty. How are you doing today? I'm good, Renita. Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, agreeing to be on the show. I really do appreciate it. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am 26, uh, living in Queens. I just finished getting my master's degree in public health in May. Um, Unemployed, looking for a job. And while I'm unemployed, I started um, this Instagram account that you have found me on. Oh, nice. Okay, so this was COVID uh, COVID related. I'm glad you started the Instagram. I love it. I guess a lot of things I learned, like I didn't know about the term neurodiverse or neurotypical. Mm-hmm. I always use the word normal, not normal, which is a bad thing, right? Like that's a bad habit. So I'm like, oh, now I have a word to replace that with um, versus yeah. having to catch myself every time. Right. So, yeah. So um, I, I saw your resume. You have your um, <laughs> your resume on um, or CV on your um, site. And it seems like you, you have a like done a lot like (laughs) and what I love mostly is um that you like everything seems to kind of coincide because you major what public health professional well you are a public health professional health communicator disability Mm -hmm. rights advocate and healthy minds and relationships and I think that all coincides so I think that's just super awesome you know yeah um I noticed that your one of your courseworks was about social determinants of health and we'll get into that later because I'm real interested to hear more about that yeah um so um now I did notice on Instagram that you were diagnosed with ADHD yes and how were how old were you when you were diagnosed I truly don't remember the exact age, but I think I was around six or seven. I was pretty young, um, and my parents were involved in the diagnosis, um, and I started medication at that age as well. Okay. Did you um, receive any support outside of your parents? Or did so they- we worked 
Yeah, we worked with a, a therapist and a psychiatrist. Um, but at the time, I was so young, I didn't really feel like I understood the diagnosis or you know the help that was being given to me. I right. it sort of all just felt like it was happening to me, like I wasn't really part of, of the conversations or what was happening. Okay, so this is just something that you had that you weren't aware of until you were older to understand. Yeah, I knew it made, you know, I knew I was hyper impulsive, had trouble paying attention, but I, I just sort of felt like all little kids were like that, I guess. Yeah, that's that's why I wonder about the age um, yeah. like, which they test that because, you know, you put me in a room at five. No, I don't really want to. I don't care what the teacher's saying. I want to play with the truck. You know, mm -hmm. I want to play with the dollhouse. So it's it's kind of like, how do you determine that at, at that age anyway? You know, at such a, a right. age anyway. So I don't know. That's just my two cents. <laughs> um, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, um, that I loved your Instagram. Um, I noticed that you recently posted information highlighting the common misconceptions of those diagnosed with ADHD and how mm -hmm. it's classified as a male diagnosis, which I found to be accurate because it's growing up it was mainly little boys I know that were diagnosed with ADHD like barely yeah. was a female diagnosed with that so um I, I specifically loved your quote when you said traits of those with ADHD are descriptive and not prescriptive mm -hmm. I love that so what are some specific traits um that you've experienced um in your diagnosis so ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects things like memory, attention, um, and then hyperactivity and impulsivity. Um, a term that's thrown around a lot is it, it affects our executive functioning, which is sort of like prefrontal cortex, um, planning, uh, control, and um, sort of like being able to see things clearly in, in an order. Um, so things like that are, are typically hard for people with ADHD. Um, there's three types of ADHD that have been identified, which is um, hyperactive slash impulsive um, is one type, and then there's inattentive, and then there's a combined type. Um, but even within that, you have like mild, moderate, severe uh, diagnoses, and then it, it presents differently in different people. Um, but those are the three main categories. Okay, and which one which one um, best uh, describes you? I'm combined, I, I have it all. Okay. <laughs> Does yep. that affect your personal or work life in any way or you found ways to? Yeah, okay. so uh, my story's a little interesting. I uh, was diagnosed when I was young, but when I was in middle school and high school, I sort of was a, I, I achieved pretty well and you know, people, said I was smart, so my ADHD diagnosis seemed to not matter at that time. Um, but when I got to the end of high school and in college, I really started struggling to keep up. So I was sort of able to get by until then. Um, but then I, I started, you know, having trouble procrastinating, meeting deadlines. The amount of work was overwhelming. Um, people with ADHD typically need longer amounts of time to do things. So when my friends were, you know, not having trouble and not pulling all-nighters, uh, when they had outgrown that, I was still doing that. Um, so it absolutely has affected my my schooling um, and work as well, um, work and personal life. Um, you know, things like waking up in the morning, meeting deadlines, getting to work on time even um, have been difficult. And, and relationships, I think, is something that we don't talk about enough when it comes to ADHD. Um, I, you know, have gotten to, into a lot of relationships, friendships impulsively. Um, so that definitely affects that. 
And with my friends that are very punctual and they like me to remember things, I've definitely gotten into some situations when people don't understand my diagnosis. They think that I'm, you know, either just being lazy or forgetful or, or unkind to them. Um, so that's definitely been difficult to deal with. Yeah, I can imagine. But do, do you explain to them that some things may be a little difficult for you? And, you know, beforehand, like, hey, okay, I know you're very punctual and, and you have this, um, I don't know, stellar memory. I don't, you know, I have a hard time, you know, um, being on time. Can you meet me halfway? You know, and I feel yeah. like that friend, they should be able to do that. You know, they should be able Absolutely. to Absolutely. Yeah. So um, do you have any friends that have met you halfway? I do. I would say my closest friends are the ones that have really listened and understood the most, but it's hard for anyone to understand, like anyone who's good at those sort of things, to understand how you can not be good at those things. It sort of seems like if you're not remembering important dates or getting to people's houses on time, then you're just like it's bad character, you're being a bad friend. It's hard to understand how somebody could just be bad at that and not be a bad person. Um, but those conversations are really helpful and I think true friends will really sit down and listen to you um, and not say things like, oh, I do that too, but you know, just just uh, try harder because that doesn't work for people like us. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've had issues um, in the past regarding like, I'm not a telephone person. So I've gotten into a lot of um, little spats because it's like, I never hear you, I never hear from you. You don't answer the phone, I'm, like, I'm not a phone person. But if it's an emergency, I will, I will answer. I will, but to just sit on the phone every day and just talk—that's just never been my thing. So mm -hmm. um, my my very close friends understand that you know that no, you're not gonna get a phone call from Anita every day. But I will pick up the phone now. The older I get, you know, I've gotten progressively better at that. Like just just calling and staying on the phone for hours. But it took me a while to get there. And so I'm appreciative of those that were patient with me, you know? So, yeah. I, you know, I feel like that, that that should be the same with you because we all have, when diagnosis or not, we all have strong points and things we need to work work on. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I feel like everyone that's in your circle should meet you halfway regardless of, of you know, the outliers or extra things that may be going on with you. So mm -hmm. That's my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who always reminds me of dates um, or important things like two or three times and repeats things for me, never has a problem with it. Um, and she's a really close friend and I appreciate all of those. Those little things just make so much of a difference um, and, and really make me feel respected. Yeah, because that's that's part of the feeling respected. You don't, you already have to, to deal with, with your own thing and it makes you feel it makes you feel less than defective when someone can respect and meet you halfway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If someone yeah. is always getting down on you for things that don't come easy for you, it makes it, it, it I don't know, it lowers your self-esteem. It makes you feel a certain way about yourself, you know? So that's why it's important, like you said, thank God for that friend that meets you halfway and say, you know what, I'm just going to remind her. We have to be somewhere at, at 2, I'm just going to remind her at 1.30, 1.45, whatever, until she get there. Like, yeah. that makes you feel good about yourself because when you make it there and they're like, oh, God, I'm so happy to see you, you made it. It's, you're not even thinking about it was yeah. different. There. you're just so excited that someone's excited and not mad at you for something that you struggle struggle with you know so, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so um i know that you wanted to talk about um adhd um 
and women, you know, and how they're often overlooked or misunderstood. So um, you want to expound on that for me? Yeah, so I know you mentioned um, mostly it's associated with boys, the ADHD is associated with boys having it. And still boys and men are um, receive more diagnosis of ADHD than women. But that's probably, it probably doesn't reflect the true number of people that have ADHD. It's probably more similar between the genders. Um, some research, research has shown. Um, we're also just learning that a lot of the research done on ADHD was only done with men and boys. So all of those um, things, obviously many, like both genders experience this, all genders experience this, uh, problems with relationships and emotions and all of that were sort of left out of the conversation. So we knew about executive functioning and we knew about problems with memory and, you know, getting work done, but we knew a lot less about symptoms that um, show up in women more often, which are, you know, problem problems keeping and maintaining friendships, um, trouble with relationships, and um, really strong, powerful emotions that came up and went really quickly or stayed really long. Um, so those sorts of things we're just learning about. And the definition of ADHD might even expand with the new research on women because currently in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which has like the official definition for ADHD, it doesn't talk about things like emotions, relationships, or how it affects your social life. Um, so some people think that that might be changing in the years to come. Um, and we've definitely gotten a little better at diagnosis um, because we now know about those symptoms that present more in women. Um, but, but there's definitely been a lot of trouble and, def and not a enough attention put on how ADHD affects women. Right, and then when you think of that, you think of all the undiagnosed females that have, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, so they're thinking they're struggling with something and they really have this diagnosis and they don't have the tools. Right. To so that's a danger yeah. in itself. So I'm glad that awareness is being brought brought to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are so many amazing um, women advocates for neurodiversity and ADHD. I see a lot of them on Instagram, um, but, but times are definitely changing. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I just feel like um, mental health is becoming more of the front line recently anyway like I feel like in the past it's like get over it type generation like the older yeah. generations and now it's like no let's deal with this let's let's yeah. you know so um kudos for that I'm really excited about that because it's so yeah. walking around thinking once again that they're defective but really they just don't have the tools or the knowledge of how to you know deal with things right so, so yeah kudos for that um, so once again, I'll talk about your website again. <laughs> and um, I noticed that one of the topics that you covered in college was social determinants of health, which I mentioned earlier. Um, yep. What do you think are some specific social determinants for those diagnosed with ADHD? So we're still learning about what causes it. Um, some research shows that things like low birth weight, exposure to lead affect um, one's uh, possibility of being diagnosed with ADHD. Um, another is genetics. Um, it's estimated that around 50% of people with ADHD or more have a relative with ADHD. Um, and in terms of social determinants of health, um, treatment, like access to treatment is a big issue. Um, so black children and low income children um, are more frequently diagnosed with ADHD, but are less able, like they get treatment less often. So there's a big gap there. 
um, and lack of treatment can cause behavioral problems. Um, a large percentage of people with ADHD um, become substance abusers, especially those that um, don't get proper treatment. So that can become a big issue. Um, access to healthcare is a big deal. Um, another thing I want to talk about is, um, you know, social uh, socioeconomic status. Um, getting medications, um, official diagnoses can be very expensive. Um, so those who can't afford medications or an official diagnosis is called a neuropsychological evaluation. Um, and that's like a, so to officially get diagnosed with ADHD outside of a psychiatrist or a, a primary care doctor, um, you go through this day long evaluation um, of your neurological and psychological abilities basically. Um, and those are required by a lot of schools to get accommodations for ADHD. So you have to show them that you've got this evaluation. Those can cost upwards of a thousand or two thousand dollars. I've never gotten one. Um, I personally can't afford it, and you know my parents wouldn't help subsidize it. Um, so that's that's also a big issue when it comes to social determinants. Yeah. Once again, a lot of undiagnosed people due to due to that as well. Mm -hmm. You would think it would be, I know, I don't know if you saw the debate yesterday, but they were talking about, um... I couldn't watch it. <laughs> you know, you probably, <laughs> that was an hour of my life I'm never going to get back, so it's yeah. <laughs> But they mentioned healthcare and they're putting emphasis on, they put emphasis on COVID and pre-existing. I, I don't know this, but is is mental, like, um, if, you're di if you, your diagnosis is like ADHD and I've been diagnosed with um, with, with depression, so would mm -hmm. that be consider considered a pre-existing condition to insurance companies? Would ADHD be considered a pre-existing pre yes, condition? Yes, I guess what I'm trying to ask is our mental uh, um, diagnosis, are, are, do they, are they recognized by insurances, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. I think some, like I know bipolar disorder and some more serious mental health disorders are can give some people trouble if, if they have that listed as a pre-existing condition, but I'm not sure about ADHD. Okay. Or do insurance cover treatment for that? Like the therapy or whatever? Sometimes, but I, I've heard cases where people have trouble getting treatment unless they have that big neuropsychological evaluation. Sometimes it's not enough to just have their one of their doctors um, who've given them a short survey fill it out. Um, so yeah, people definitely still have problems getting getting the medication they need covered by insurance. And insurance wouldn't cover that exam at all. I'm assuming. I I'm not sure about that. I, maybe some really good insurance companies, but um, yeah, when I checked with my insurance, I have Blue Cross Blue Shield, and and they wouldn't help that out at all. Yeah, so do I. And, and that's, I think I'm, I'm bringing that up because it's like, okay, why not? Why don't insurances cover that? Yeah. You know, yeah. they, it's the same as being diagnosed with, with heart, heart trouble or, you know what I'm saying? High blood pressure. Exactly. It's affecting your way of life. So why, why not? So yeah. I'm just wondering if, if they were covered. So, um, I guess it's considered like an extraneous Thing, you know people don't need it it's sort of like it's thought of as like an extra you know you don't really need it but it's, it's something big and extra which is so wrong it, it is it's very wrong you know therapy helps a lot of people you know but you can't get it if you can't afford it right you know and then if you go through some of the free um there you know therapy um i don't know 
little apps and stuff like that. It's only like for a trial run. So you get like three free ones and then you have to yeah. come through. So after the third, you know, when you're at the third session, you've built a relationship with this therapist and now you can't go to them anymore. And if you want to keep getting free trials and you got to keep starting over with the same person every three sessions, like, I don't know. Right. I also know that people who, sorry, um, people who struggle with addiction sometimes have trouble getting prescribed those medicines. Um, there's definitely a stigma against people who have some other addiction um, mm -hmm. being prescribed medications like Adderall, um, Vyvanse, those that are helpful for ADHD, um, because there's guidelines that say it's not safe or you could get addicted to this medication, um, the medication that you need to function, which I, I find to be very just wrong <laughs> and off color yeah hmm no that's on my mind <laughs> yeah yeah well um, I'm, I'm glad that awareness is being brought but we still have a long way to go with, yeah with the mental health i know um i know covid covid is the the headliner right now um but there are so many other things i feel are being overlooked because of it you know Right. Um, I know. I know it's important, but there are all these things that already exist that still are, you know, hanging in the balance, and so they're really on hold. Develop, you know, developments, research is all on hold because everyone, everybody is focused on COVID. So. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to add? I guess speaking of COVID, it. I talked to a lot of people with ADHD. It sort of turned my life around. I. A lot of people with ADHD are routine. It's really important. So once COVID hit, we had to change everything. It's like this routine that we worked so hard to build just sort of fell apart. Um, so I know a lot of people who have jobs or who are students had to you know, quickly come up with a new routine that they worked so hard to, to create. So it definitely threw things into chaos a little bit for me. Um, but it was helpful to see that I wasn't the only one struggling there. Um, I thought, you know, why can't I do this quickly? Or why, you know, why is this such an issue for me? Um, but it, it, it was an issue for, for everyone um, who struggled with ADHD and just like mental health, you know, COVID affected so many aspects of, of the way that we live and feel. Um, so yeah, that's another thing I think that resources for people with ADHD, specifically in the time of COVID, um, are so essential. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone um, diagnosed with ADHD for, like to cope during this COVID era? Mm -hmm. I would say definitely continue with, if you go to remote therapies or psychiatry appointments, continue with those remote. It's not the same as in person, but even if you have some kind of structure, that's really important. Um, what I did was, I know a lot of people, even without ADHD, did this, designate different parts of your, um, wherever you live for, for work and for play and for sleep, um, just to put that external structure out there. Um, I still use a calendar. I still give myself breaks. I treat it like a regular work day. Um, and yeah, any type of external support, I think is, is really crucial for people. Um, so those things have helped me. Okay, good, good advice. <laughs> Especially for those working remotely too. And like you say, yeah. you're at home right now too. So you have, it's like you're in the same spot all day. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it is good to designate certain areas for certain um, aspects of your life. So that's great, yeah. great advice. Um, be, um, be Your Own Kind does have a staple question, so of course I have to ask you. Sure. <laughs> the staple question is, if you can describe yourself in one word, what would it be? Oh, I love that question. 
It's also a tough one. I think, I think compassionate is my word. Um, having struggled with ADHD, mental health issues, um, different aspects of my life has made me so compassionate to types of people that I never thought I would be able to have compassion for. Um, so yeah, that's my word. Cool. <laughs> I like it. We need compassion in this world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, before we before we sign off, any um, ending remarks you might have? Uh, no, thank you so much for having me. This has been great and very therapeutic. Oh, nice. Thank you. I've learned so much from you. Um, I will be, um, I don't want to say snooping, but I will be looking, <laughs> looking out on your um, Instagram and getting more informed with ADHD. And I just want to say I appreciate you taking out the time to, to be on my show today. Thank you.